0: I think God works through our problems when we talk to others about those problems. You gotta have that relationship right before you do that. It takes some time uh, for you to get to that point. And then that sharing starts between uh, two brothers. That's where I see the blessings start to open up. I myself just am a people person. God just started Putting guys in my life, you know, I could see these people that he was intentionally placing there in my life, and, and I'm just doing what I love to do. If you call that leadership, okay, getting to, to know guys and, and, and what they do and, and, and just the encouragement that I get from meeting new people, I think probably that's the, been the biggest plus for me. You know, there's so much that I think we can learn from each other and, and what they bring uh, to me, I mean, you know, is, is just really uplifted me. We've had some, some men that were uh, sharing some of the, the things that have, have gone on in their life, enabled me to share those same times when I was in the same sort of position. Sometimes we think that all our problems and and all our times where we're not close to the Lord is it's just us but we all go through that hearing some of those stories from some of those guys you know it's like a little light comes on and you go oh yeah I remember I was you know I had that same sort of scenario and so we need each other it's just so important to have some strong men relationships and I think the opportunity to join the Fellowship Men group is, is where you start to make those relationships so that you can have those mentors, those people around you that uh, are not only mentors, but they're mentees, right? I think that's a blessing from God. And uh, so I think Fellowship Men is a great way to, uh, to take that blessing from God and to uh, live it out. Good
1: morning. So today is going to be a great day because of two things. Number one, his mercies are new every morning. Amen. And number two, the sun is shining. So, does anybody else struggle with that sad disease? Can I get sad when it's cloudy and 40s and 20s and icing and raining for three and four and five days in a row? So, hey. Sun is shining, God's great, it's gonna be a great morning. So, welcome to Fellowship. If you are new, we'd love to get to know you. So please click the QR code behind me on the screen to find out all the cool things that are happening here at Fellowship. Or come see us at the information booth after the service. Fellowship men, starting in two weeks, week and a half, February 21st, in Springdale, 412 Annex, February 22nd, in The Lodge in Rogers. It's an eight week study on characters that God chose and blessed them so that they could be a blessing. So it's gonna be a great study, so if you're a young man, you're a dad, you're a granddad, please join us, 630 to 730 in the morning. Half hour teaching, half hour small groups. We also got some fun things planned. We're gonna do a golf tournament. We're gonna do a men's retreat, so get plugged in. So you know how to participate in those things. So Merge is our eight-week premarital experience here at Fellowship. So if you are seriously dating or engaged, please check that out. So they'll go over topics like communication and intimacy and finances. So you'll be in a small group with a mentor couple. So please sign up before Wednesday because we launched this week. Please also, Fellowship, turn in your baby bottles for loving choices and return them to Booth E, or you can do that next week as well. So Legacy is our senior adult dynamic ministry here at Fellowship. So at the 1030 service, if you're 65 or older or younger, um, please go to the Family Center. They're the only senior adult ministry I know where people are actually going for the music, okay? This is awesome. So, So I heard a rumor that they're playing 90s worship today. So please keep this between you and I, that I might actually poke my head in there because 90s music is awesome. So uh, check that out, so after the service. So Robin Yates is our early childhood team leader. Come on up, Robin. Give Robin a hand. Doesn't she do a great (laughs) job? Of not only loving our students, but finding other folks like you all to love our students here at Fellowship. Robin, was it your idea to put donuts in the foyer? (laughs) I can't
2: take credit, but...
1: That was a great idea. Somehow it's the most popular area of the foyer, so the donut But you
2: got to be six or under to get one, sorry, so. (laughs) So, well, today we have parent-child dedication, and I'm so excited. It's one of my favorite times of the year that we get to do this. We have so many babies. We're actually scheduling more, so we can get a little caught up on that. Um, But today we have some families at each service um, that we're going to dedicate, and The cool thing is that we're not just dedicating them, we're dedicating you as well as a congregation to commit to them. You know, our biggest threat to helping our kids grow to find and follow Jesus is our lack of leaders in classrooms. So if the Lord has been nudging at your heart for a place to serve, let me just encourage you, we've got... Some kids who are hungry to know Jesus. And we want to build those foundations in their lives now. So um, that's a bonus, a little extra. But let me start by introducing our first family, the Clark family. This is Eloise James Clark. Her parents are Nate and Jessica, and she has a big sister, Annie. So they say our Eloise, or as most know her, Wheezy has a spirit of joy and excitement. She adds spunk and energy to our family that we are so grateful for. She loves all things frozen and loves learning from her older sister, Annie. We pray that she would always seek the Lord and shine her light to everyone around her. So we're gonna pray for that today. Next, we have Benjamin Andrew Marquette. So Ben's parents are Michael and Cassie, and he has two big brothers, Matt and Jack. So Ben, I can hardly read this anecdote without tears, but Ben is the perfect addition to our family. We met Ben as a six-day-old in the NICU, and he would come home to us the next day as our very first foster care placement. And almost a year with us in foster care, we adopted Ben and he officially became a Marquette. Although we are grieved by the circumstances that brought Ben to our family, we are so glad God's plan for him included us. Ben is silly and fun and loves his big brother so much. We're thankful for his life and the joy he has brought to our family. We love you, Ben. (laughs) And Everly Charlotte Schroer. (laughs) Everly's parents are Ryan and Amanda, and she has a big sister, Addison, and a big brother, Eli. So, Everly is such a blessing to our family. She loves to sing and dance. Her spunky yet loving personality brings us so much joy. We know that God created her with a purpose and a plan and we pray that she will grow to know her identity in Christ and be a testimony to others with a strong faith in the Lord. We love praying that for her.
1: Parents, I have a charge for you here at Fellowship. Will you commit to pray for your children all the days of your life? Will you model a godly lifestyle for them? Live a life focused on God and his word. Will you train your children in the way they should go? Will you commit to a marriage focused on Christ and serving one another? If so, please say we will. will. Congregation, fellowship, these children are the future of our community and our church. And in Third John 1, 4, John says, I have no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in the truth. Isn't that our prayer for our family and our life? That we have no greater joy than our children are walking with the truth. So that's these parents' prayer this morning. So fellowship, will you commit to praying for these children and their children here at fellowship? Will you take the opportunity to encourage, serve, And even invest in not only these children here today, but all of our children here at Fellowship. If so, please say, we will. We will. Bow with me as I pray for these wonderful children. Lord, we pray for Eloise. Help her to be strong and courageous, to not be terrified or afraid. For the Lord your God is the one who will go with you. He will not leave you or abandon you. Lord, please help Benjamin to know that your eyes saw his unformed body, that all the days ordained for him were written in your book before one of them came to be. God, please help Everly to trust in the Lord with all her heart and lean not on her own understanding. In all her ways, submit to him and he will make her paths straight. In Jesus' name, amen. Fellowship, as these parents take their children back to their classrooms, please take out your phone and take a picture of these families so that you can remember to pray for them. Thank you.
3: Let's celebrate them this morning. but a significant thing to take place here today to acknowledge that faith is something that can be generational as well as as brokenness. And so we come here to worship a God in the midst of a broken world, in the midst of broken families, in the midst of earthquakes, in the midst of uh, turmoil. And we acknowledge God that we place our faith in you And as a dad of four kids and myself, my prayer for my kids is that they would know Jesus as their Savior. That they would grow up and that they would be a part of a church family like this. Where they gather together and they declare the goodness of the Lord. So would you stand with us? Let's do that. Acknowledge His greatness.
2: Lift our voices and sing. All the earth will shout your praise. Come on.
3: a moment just to rest in the truth that there will be no one like our God. Rest in the themes of Esther and the themes of Daniel of God's sovereignty that He reigns over all creation. And not only is He all powerful but He is faithful take a moment just to reflect on his faithfulness in your life. That he is ever present. That he is near. That he loves and he cares for you in the valley and the mountaintop and everything in between. Lord, we hold fast to the truth that Even when we are faithless, you are faithful. But as we approach your word today in Daniel, when we see the example of faithfulness from Daniel and his friends, would we be inspired to respond to your faithfulness with our faithfulness. So as we continue to sing this morning, we declare your faithfulness. We continue to praise your name.
4: Scars and struggles on the way, but with joy, our hearts can say, Yes, our hearts can
5: say.
6: hearts are heavy for the people of Turkey. I can't get out of my eyes and stop seeing the, those beautiful brown eyes of those kids, just the devastation. And So we want going to start off our service and pray this morning. We just want to thank you for your generosity as we're able to just really quickly get some money to some organizations, actually to some people who were on this stage not too long ago, some global workers from our midst, are over there and, and so we just want to pause this morning and pray. Will you join me as I pray? Lord, we are grateful for all that you're doing. And Lord, as we think about the people of Turkey and Syria, our hearts are broken. And Lord, we pray for security. We pray for safety. We pray for salvation. And, Lord, it's, it's in times like these that we get a little confused and we don't understand what's going on. But, Lord, we know, we know through your Holy Spirit and through your word that you are faithful. And, Lord, we just ask that you would be with them. And in some way, through the, the devastation and the hurt, the people would be drawn to you and you would be glorified. I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, We are in the second week of our study in the book of Daniel. And you don't need a new study guide. You just need the one that you've been using through the book of Esther. Last week, we had our friend from Ireland, Stuart and Sam. And Stuart and Sam, it's interesting, Stuart is a lawyer and Sam, you may not realize this is Dr. Sam Hannon. He's got his, his uh, doctorate in theology. And it took those two guys together to do one chapter of Daniel. And so they left me with three chapters. So we'll see what we can do this morning. The book of Daniel is different, it's different. It's different in that it's not like other books of prophecy. And prophecy is very important in the scriptures, but the book of Daniel is a little bit different. Uh, Daniel's not like other prophets. He's actually different. He's more of a government worker or a statesman. But you do see him involved in prophecy. Matter of fact, you might call him an honest politician. No further comment the book of Daniel is written in two languages. It's both Hebrew and Aramaic. And actually, in our chapter this morning, and we won't notice it because ours is in English, but the, it's written in the book of it's Hebrew, the native language of, of God's people, but it's also Aramaic, which is kind of the, the international business language of the day. It would be the English of that day. And it actually transitions from Hebrew to Aramaic in verse 4, but we won't see that. Obviously, our Bible is written in English. And then there's a strange structure in the book of Daniel. It's actually not written in chronological order. And for our Western linear thinking mind, that's a very difficult challenge, isn't it? It's actually, there's something called a chiastic or chiastic structure. It's actually really powerful. It just throws us off a little bit. But a chiastic structure is simply this. It it pairs ideas with other similar ideas in a symmetrical fashion. So you'll see, like for our study today, the chapter two is, pairs really well with chapter seven and they keep working together until the middle chapters of the book. And we'll see that play out today. Daniel chapter two, Daniel chapter seven and Daniel chapter eight seem to pair together in many ways. Daniel chapter two is simply Nebuchadnezzar's dream of a statue, we'll we'll see that Nebuchadnezzar's view of these powerful kingdoms as they're described, and and he describes them as valuable metals. And then in Daniel chapter 7, we'll see where uh, God's view of those same empires or kingdoms is beastly, is not godly. And It's interesting to contrast the different views. We'll spend 95% of our time in Daniel chapter 2 today Three things, three broad strokes that you need to see are these. First, God's sovereignty. We're going to see God's sovereignty today. And and if you leave here and, and the hair on the back of your neck, if you don't at some time get goosebumps because of who God is and who we are in light of him, you might need a pulse check. And if you're here today and you don't believe in Christ, this should draw you towards him. It's amazing what we're going to study today. Matter of fact, this is why we study through books of the Bible and we don't just do topical sermons because you would never get to this passage today and it's really powerful. We're also going to see the human frailty or kingdom frailty that that all kingdoms of the earth, all nations of the earth will eventually come and go but one will stand forever. That's the kingdom of Christ. And then lastly, you'll see Daniel's certainty. And for us, that's the believer's certainty. And it's not like we understand everything, but we're certain because of who God is. His sovereignty is big, it's bold, and it's beautiful. Hey, we're gonna structure it like this. This is how you could outline it for us. You're going to see a dream, King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and it has a, he has a troubling dream of a great statue. And then there's going to be a dilemma. We're going to see Daniel and his friends are facing execution. We're going to see a disclosure. God's going to answer Daniel's prayer. He's going to disclose the meaning of the dream to Daniel. And then they're going to, we're going to see Nebuchadnezzar's response. He's going to fall flat on his face, and he's going to make a decree. And as this, this plays out, it's really powerful. But let me ask you the question as we get started. Do you ever have troubling dreams? You ever have dreams that just really throw you off and it takes some time in the day to, to really figure out what's going on? I had, it, I had this happen once. I woke up and I was so certain my dream was, was reality. I got in my car and I had to go check something out. And that's where we're going to find Nebuchadnezzar. He has this troubling dream and he doesn't know, quite know how to deal with it. We pick up the study in Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. Listen to this. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. So the king summoned magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. So the king's bothered. He, he brings his court of wise men to come and tell him what his dream means we won't get into what each of those positions are. They're, they're probably exactly what you think they are. But they were his, his wise men of Babylon. And so he, he brings them to them. They say He says, I want you to interpret my dream. They probably did what they always did. They say, great, just tell us the dream. And I want you to see the king's response. The king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. Think about that. He's not gonna tell them the dream. He says, I want you to not only tell me the contents of the dream, I want you to interpret the dream and if you don't do it, I'm gonna cut you into pieces and I'm gonna ruin your household. Talk about pressure. But in verse six, he says, But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. So the requirement is this. You can do, there's one of two outcomes. Interpret it and you'll get all kinds of rewards and honor and life's gonna be really good. Don't interpret the dream. Your life comes to an end. Your family and house is in ruins. Now, this doesn't seem rational, does it? So you kind of wonder, what's the king's irritation? What's going on? We don't really know. Some theologians think that he forgot the dream. and It was bothering him. He couldn't figure it out. Some theologians would believe that he's just, he's just frustrated because he's starting to think that maybe these guys are just making stuff up. And then I also think that there may be the possibility that there's, some, there's a coup attempt going on in his court. If you, if you study history, you will see around this time, it's actually a little bit after this time, there, there's a coup attempt, and maybe Nebuchadnezzar is starting to sense that. And so he thought, maybe I'll just, if these guys can't do this, I'll just wipe them out. I'll just get rid of them. But whatever the, the cause, this, he, he tells them, I want you to interpret the dream. They respond by saying, hey, this, there's no way. There's no human on earth that can do, king, what you're asking, and then I want you to see the response here when the guard, the executioner, is at Daniel's door, see what happens in verse 14. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, so the king sentenced them to death, and Arioch, the executioner, is at the door knocking on Daniel's door, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. Remember those two things. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went to the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. So I want you to notice several things about Daniel here. First, his certainty. Second, his character. And third, his courage. He's just confident He says, okay, now tell me the dream. And it says he spoke to to Ariok, who think about what kind of person Ariok would have been. I mean, he'd been a pretty intimidating character. He's about to execute all the the, the people he's done life with, and he's knocking on the door to come get Daniel. And Daniel says, hey, wait a minute. And he speaks to them with wisdom and tact. So we see Daniel's character. And then lastly, we see Daniel's courage because he, he takes kind of the... He takes the reins and he goes and he talks to the king, says, Hey, king, give me a chance to interpret this. Because I think Daniel knows what's going to happen. Watch how Daniel responds in verse 17. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. You think about what's going on here. The king says, hey, if you can't interpret this dream, I'm going to execute everybody. Daniel's not around, and he hears about it kind of third person, and he says, hey, time out. I think my God can do this, and he literally has to wait for God to interpret this dream. He goes to bed one night, and God gives him the vision, and what I want to do for just a moment, I want you to close your eyes, and I want to read Daniel's psalm that he writes to the Lord. Just close your eyes and listen to this. He says this, praise be to the God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness, and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what I ask of you, and you have made known to us the dream of the king. Isn't that powerful? And that's Daniel's response. And it makes me think of: is that my response? Even in the little things, when God answers prayers, is that my response? Do I take the time to just thank God for who he is and what he's done? Well, after Daniel responds to God and prays, we see him. Prepare to disclose the king to the king. So we've had the dream. There's, there's, there's a dilemma going on. Now I want you to see the disclosure. Look at verse 27. Daniel replied to the king, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. You see him setting the stage here? But there is a God in heaven. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Your dreams and visions that have passed through your mind as you were lying on the bed are these. In 1st Daniel contrasts earthly wisdom with heavenly wisdom. He's basically saying, yeah, all these guys and all this stuff they're doing, it's nothing compared to the God of heaven. And this would have appealed to Nebuchadnezzar. He's taking shots at these other gods. And then he gives God all the credit. He, God, has shown Nebuchadnezzar what will come. And then it almost seems like he's showing off as he says, your dream and the visions that pass through your mind, he tells him exactly what's going on. As you are lying in bed are these. Now look at the interpretation in verse 31. Your majesty looked. And there before you stood a large statue, enormous and dazzling, awesome in appearance. So think about this. He's he's having this dream, and there's this incredibly large statue that's dazzling and awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold. Its chest and arms are of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, and its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. It's almost hard to imagine, isn't it? If I were to put it on a chart, and we'll build this chart out over time, but this is what it would look like. This is the the statue that, that Nebuchadnezzar is dreaming about. Now, Daniel continues the interpretation by disclosing the elements of the dream. Listen to this. And while you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. Remember that. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron and clay, the bronze, the silver, and gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff. Like just, just, you could blow it away on the threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock, remember the rock that wasn't cut out by human hands, the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. Now you're probably sitting there going this is incredibly powerful or you're sitting there going this is crazy. What's going on here? Most I would say almost unanimously conservative theologians believe that this that the rock is Jesus Christ. You know whether you're a premillennialist or an amillennialist or a postmillennialist or you're between the ages of 27 and 40, and, you're a, and when people my age are frustrated with you, we call you a millennial, it doesn't matter. Or maybe you're confused with what I just said, it doesn't matter. Most, almost unanimously, conservative theologians believe that the rock that's being spoken of here is Jesus Christ. And most conservative theologians believe that this rock, that this rock who grows and fills the earth, they're speaking of Jesus in his second return. So for us as believers, that would be in the future. That when he comes back, he's gonna reign on this earth, and he's gonna be like a mountain. His kingdom is going to reign all over the earth. Now I will say this, there are some that hold a little bit of a different view that 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 rock, Jesus, is talking about his kingdom that's already come, his first king, his first coming, and he's reigning now. I don't really hold that view. It's a debatable issue, and here's my encouragement to you, and I'm saying this to kind of set the foundation because we're going to talk about a lot more debatable things as we get to Daniel chapters 9 and 10. It's going to be interesting, but as you're discussing this, and maybe you're one of those folks who love in-time stuff, be nice. Just be nice. In your discussions, be nice. If you know more than your community group leader about this stuff, be nice, If you hold a different view in community group, be nice. Because these are debatable things. Be nice to your teaching pastor when you email him. (laughs) Now, I'd love to hear your email. Feel free to email me. My email address is (laughs) sahannon at fellowshipnwa. Now, this is really good stuff. It's powerful stuff. But as you talk about this, this should encourage, and there's some debatable things. It's a little bit hard to figure out what the meaning is at times. Not only does Daniel tell King Nebuchadnezzar about the dream, he actually interprets the dream. Look at verse 38. King Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. That probably made him feel pretty good, huh? You're the head of gold. After you, another kingdom will arise inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all others. Just as you saw that the feet and the toes, remember toes, were partly of baked clay and partly of iron. So this will be a divided kingdom, yet it will have some strength of iron in it, even as you saw the iron mixed with clay. And so as we build out this chart, what, what he's saying here is, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, your kingdom, you are the head of gold. Your kingdom is a is gold standard. And then after yours will come an inferior kingdom, and most conservative theologians believe that that's Medo-Persia. It's the, it's the kingdom that we'll see in Daniel conquer the Babylonians and so when he talks about an inferior kingdom, he's not necessarily just talking about a kingdom that's not as strong. But from Nebuchadnezzar's point of view, if he were looking at this, he would see his is gold. He would see the next one is silver. It's really probably in a view of a, what a totalitarian, authoritarian leader would see, that, 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 that the silver kingdom doesn't have as much power, or at least the leader doesn't have as much power, as it does in the gold standard. And it kind of continues to go. And you see those kingdoms are matched up with empires that we know actually existed. The Greek empire, which lasted 200 plus years. The Roman empire, which lasted 500 plus years. And then there's this feet of iron and clay. Actually, it's feet and toes of iron and clay. This future Gentile empire. That's an interesting one, because for us, that wouldn't have come most people would say that has ties to the past Roman Empire. But keep remember that as we move on. But this future Gentile Empire, this, this feet of iron and clay, look what happens to it. Verse 44. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Now think about that. When this future Gentile kingdom, because we know that those, those four have already happened, but this future Gentile kingdom, one that's coming. In the times of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Think about the rock, the rock that's not cut with human hands, the rock that will grow and fill the earth. What does it do to the statue? It breaks it apart. The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to other people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. If you are a follower of Christ, if you're a follower of God, here's what you know about that kingdom. It will be divine. The God of heaven will set up the kingdom. It will be eternal, never to be destroyed nor left to another people. Think about all those kingdoms, all these, pre, these, these, these earthly empires, they're, they're falling, they're frail, they're led by broken people, and they're always conquered by somebody else. And he's saying that won't happen to this kingdom. This kingdom will be victorious. It will crush all the kingdoms and bring them to an end, but itself will endure. And then what's interesting is this kingdom will be an earthly kingdom and we know the head of it is Christ. And that's why theologians believe that he's referring to the millennial reign of Christ. It's gonna be awesome. And for those who believe in Christ, it's coming. It's coming. Now, I want you to see how King Nebuchadnezzar responds to this disclosure. He actually issues a decree. But I want you to notice, I want you to notice his position I want you to notice his proclamation that he makes, and then I want you to notice the promotion of Daniel. Look at verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of God's and the Lord of kings, and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. The position of a king. He's the most powerful man on earth, and he's laid out face down before Daniel because of God. Some people think he actually comes to faith in Christ through this. We'll see a couple other professions of faith. It's hard to know because he also says some other things that are kind of wonky. We don't know for sure. But it's interesting, isn't it? He's starting to recognize who God is. And then he proclaims. He ordered that an offering. He said, he said, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries. So he makes the proclamation. And then in verse 48 and 49, we see him promote Daniel. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him and made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. He gave Daniel a promotion. It's pretty cool if you keep reading. Daniel then kind of says, hey, I want my my buddies to come along too. And they all get powerful positions. Now, some of you are probably thinking, well, what about Daniel chapter 7 and 8? I thought you were going to talk about those. Some of you are like, let's go to lunch. Let me just say this. I've got a chart for you. You look at Daniel chapter two on that far left side. You see the head of gold, the chest and arms of silver, just as the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. Those refer to most likely those those empires, and, and what almost all conservative theologians are in agreement that in Daniel chapter seven, the empires spoken of there are and actually referred to as as beasts. So you have a lion with eagle's, eagle's wings. Think about that. You have a bear. You have a leopard and a terrible beast. That's powerful. And those should line up with, with Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. So one, in chapter two, you have Nebuchadnezzar's view of these, these empires, which he thinks are awesome and valuable metals. Then you have Daniel and God's view of these empires, which they, they see them as terrible beasts. But I want you to notice the last empire. You have the feet of iron and clay or the feet and toes of iron and clay and then you have the, the 10 horns. How many toes does your average person have on their feet? Okay, not in Arkansas. Okay, <laughs> around the world, around the world. How many toes? 10, right? And it compares with the 10 horns that come out of the terrible beast. And then one horn comes up and that horn would be the antichrist. The antichrist. What you're going to see in just a moment, you're going to see and you're going to hear about, continue to hear about, Jesus. He comes and he crushes him. He sets up this kingdom on earth. This kingdom that's not like any other kingdom. This kingdom that's incredibly powerful. Hey, the big idea for today is this. God's sovereignty gives confidence for today and hope for tomorrow. He's powerful. He's in control. Even when things seem really tough, God's got this. He's got this. And I wanna read for you out of chapter seven, and there's so much in here I wish we could talk about, but out of chapter seven, I wanna read for you. It lines up to what he was talking about in chapter two, but it's it's Daniel's vision. He's almost talking like it's in the past tense because he's so sure that it's going to happen. But he says this. Then I kept watching because the arrogant words of the horn that was speaking. I was watching until the beast was killed and its body destroyed and thrown into the flaming fire. I was watching... In the night visions, and with clouds, and with the clouds of the sky, one like a son of man. Who's referred to over and over as the son of man? Jesus. And with clouds of the sky, one like the son of man was approaching. He went up to the ancient of days, that's God Almighty, that's the Father, and was escorted before him. To him was giving ruling authority, honor, and sovereignty. All peoples, nations, languages, groups were serving him. His authority is eternal and will not pass away. His kingdom will not be destroyed, amen? You see, folks, God's got this. He's coming back, and through his plans and purposes, through his sovereignty, should give us incredible confidence for today, even when things don't seem right even with death and destruction, even with hurt, even with discouragement and and depression, he's got this.
3: Rest in that truth and his sovereignty this morning as we praise his name together.
4: darkness running out of an empty grave now seated alone in glory and thrones on the highest praise you sent the darkness running out of an empty grave seated alone in glory and throne would you stand let's declare that together you sent the darkness running Out of an empty grave, seated alone in glory, and on the highest
5: grace, you sent the darkness running. Out of
4: an empty grave, seated alone in glory, and on the highest grace, you sent the darkness running.
3: Praise His name, all hail
4: King Jesus! Oh, hail King Jesus! Oh, hail!
3: Son Jesus in Matthew 6, as you call us to seek first the kingdom of God and the promise that all will be added unto us. So, God, may we seek you first. May our prayer be the prayer of the psalmist David. One thing we ask, one thing we seek, that we would dwell in the house of the Lord, that we would see your beauty. God, we hope and we long for the day that you return. But until that day, we walk by your spirit. We trust, we obey in your commands. For you are a loving God and we love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for worshiping with us this morning, fellowship. Do you seek first the kingdom this week? If you like prayer this morning, we have the Campbells, Alan, Patty in the prayer room. They'd love to pray over anything that you bring them. Go in peace this week.